Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at HokieSmash underscore ASD. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we get started into the podcast. Welcome back to This Week in the ACC. This is the podcast of AllSportsDiscussion.com, and this is the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the United States. Carlos, welcome back, man. We are happy to have you come back on the podcast. Uh, just tell us about yourself a little bit and anything that you want to plug. We we want to make sure we rewind, remind our listeners here tonight, you are here tonight to preview 2022 University of Miami Hurricanes football. And it's been, Carlos, I think it's been seven years since you've been our, on our podcast, and we're really happy to have you come back on the, on the show tonight. Carlos, the floor is yours. Introduce yourself to everybody and anything that you want to plug. Well, good evening, and yes, it's it's been quite a number of years. I do remember coming on board the first time around, and we, you know, we just had a great conversation about uh, the issues facing Miami football back then and why they were struggling. Um, I do, I did take a hiatus from writing for a bit, but uh, this year I'm back. I'm going to be writing for Southern Pigskin again. Uh, you know, writing about the ACC, especially the Hurricanes, and uh, you know, just what's going on in the state of Florida as it pertains to the ACC. But yeah, man, it's been a minute and it's, it's exciting to, to see that, you know, we're right around the corner for the start of another football season. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Carlos F Pineda. And uh, you know, I'll be at most of the uh, UM football games this year. So it'll be fun. Outstanding. We're happy. We're really happy to have you back. So it feels like a home. <laughs> it, I, I, I'm kind of smiling right now because it feels like a homecoming. So a, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, I just want to ask you a quick basketball question because we've been kind of doing this with each of our prior guests that have come on the show, but nowhere is it more apparent than what happened with the University of Miami Hurricanes men's basketball team last year. Because I, you know, as I mentioned to Jeff, I mean, I had Miami pretty much dead last in the ACC coming into the season, and Miami really pulled off just so many incredible wins over the ACC men's basketball regular season, but also throughout the the the, uh, the NCAA tournament. And, and it was a hell of a job by Jim Laranaga. And I, I want to get your just your brief thoughts on the Canes basketball season. Well, it was surprising. I mean, I think all of us would have thought the same thing. Uh, I think after, I think it was a second year where they won – uh, not only the ACC regular season and conference tournament under Laranaga and advanced the Sweet 16, they did that again a couple of years later. And then since then, really, uh, the program kind of took a nosedive. Just a lot of things happening in-house, um, you know, players leaving, injuries. I think injuries was a huge part of that. So you saw for, you know, the better part of two, three seasons where they had a losing record, made you wonder if, uh, you know, Laranega had any more magic left. And then last season happens, they weren't even ranked at all during the regular season. And they pull off this amazing feat where they go to the elite eight with the elite eight, which was, you know, they've never done that before. So it's like, it's their best tournament run ever. And it was just incredible to watch. I mean, 
a lot of people caught, you know, caught on and um, it became a big deal down here in South Florida because typically Miami basketball isn't. And it was fun to watch and it was fun to see, uh, you know, just the community down here actually enjoy it and, and go along for the ride because, um, you know, usually Miami basketball is not, it's not even the top two sports when it comes to uh, UM athletics. It's always uh, football and baseball. So that was really fun to watch. Definitely, definitely. Jeff, we're going to turn it over to you, man, for football preview time. Let's go, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Matthew. All right, Carlos. <clears throat> this, is, this is Miami football preview time. What are some of the major strengths coming back next year for the Hurricanes? And I, I got a feeling you're going to mention a particular quarterback. <laughs> good, good call. Um, well, I was going to say, just, just off the bat, when you look at positions, quarterback is one running backs, tight ends, offensive line, and secondary. Those are your, your, your main strengths coming back into the season. And like you mentioned, in particular, a certain quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, he just came into his own, you know, last half of the season. You're talking about a kid that uh, two months into the job really uh, became, you know, the present and future for Miami football, because for a long time, you're, you know, you've been wondering who is that quarterback going to be? And, he really impressed everyone. I think uh, passed for nearly 3,000 yards, over 25, you know, 25 touchdowns last season, won the ACC Rookie of the Year honors, and he just brought so much stability to, to a team last year that, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of questions. You know, Manny Diaz, was he going to stay as head coach? Was he going to get fired? And all this kid did was impress everyone, and – especially I think his last six games of the season, I wrote this down, he passed for over 300 yards and had at least three touchdowns in each of those games. So um, that was a huge win for my, for the Miami football program is having a guy like that, who's going to be a third year sophomore come back and um, lead this team with, with a whole new coaching regime. And then um, I think just, you got to look at the offensive line. Um, Manny Chris, Mario Cristobal uh, hit him and, uh, Alex Mirabal, the offensive line coach, their big emphasis was pushing the offensive line to uh, do better at run blocking because that was one of the, you know, one of the side issues they've had over the, over the last couple of years is, you know, the offensive line sometimes is a weakness and they did a really good job spring uh, in the spring. They looked really good and um, it's going to open up the hole for these running backs, which I think this is a, the first time in a long time that, the Hurricanes are going to have a lot of depth at the running back position because you've got um, two guys that have already been in the system and Jalen Knighton, who impressed really well last year, and Don Chaney. But you also have a transfer from Ole Miss, Henry Parrish, who really got a lot of the touches this spring because the other guys have been injured and recovering. So they're looking phenomenal. And it's just it's looking like everything is coming together nicely for a lot of these units at, at times haven't looked so great, but this year, everything under this new regime is looking really good. All right. Now let's go on the flip side, um, Carlos. What are some of the major weaknesses for the Hurricanes? In other words, what do you think Miami will be working on before the first game? You know, what are the kind of questions that you think have to be resolved? And, and from some of what I've read about Miami, they are working – diligently under new defensive coordinator Kevin Steele on some of the tackling issues they had from last year? Uh, not just last year, but I think that dating back to, you know, why Miami has struggled so much 
since winning a championship in 2001 is there's been a lack of tackling every year. That's always been a question mark, like you mentioned. And uh, specifically this year, I think, take a look at the defensive line. Um, they've gotten a lot of transfers, but that just shows you that there's going to be a lot of rotation. And so there, in my opinion, there's going to be some growing pains there just because you're going to have a lot of guys uh, filling in. They're going to have maybe, a two, you know, they're going to probably be, you know, two or three different waves at the defensive line position. So it's going to take some time to get adjusted there. And, you know, that's going to be uh, problematic, I think, as, as we get, you know, into fall camp and beginning of the season is just the alignment, getting these guys set. Uh, they're still, uh, from what I've read, you know, they're just, they've added a lot of transfers and you've seen them help bolster up the defensive line, but it's still, you know, they're still new to the system. So, and everyone's new to the system, obviously, because it's a whole new coaching staff. But uh, I think that'll be an issue where you're just going to, it's going to take some time to get uh, adjusted. But also, uh, you know, you mentioned tackling and in one of those important positions is the linebacker, linebacker position. And there's just uh, not a, you know, there's, a, there's still needing um, some transfers to help bolster that up. So I think when you really look at the Hurricanes, uh, that, that middle section of the defense is going to be, you know, it's going to be a bit green and they're going to have to figure that out. But that's going to be a weakness going into this new season. All right. Very good answers there, Carlos. Um, <clears throat> who are some of the new recruits uh, that have impressed you the most um, or transfers that have come into the program, like you mentioned? Are there any that you think will get some major playing time right away? And, um, you know, like we said, talk about anyone in the transfer portal that might see the field right away. Well, when we talk about transfers, uh, Henry Parrish, the running back from Ole Miss, I mentioned him under the running backs and the depth he has gotten a lot of uh, action in the sprint uh, due to the, you know, the other guys being injured and, and recovering from those injuries. So he's looked really good. Uh, the, they're really high on him because uh, he's got a great vision and, and that's really helping uh, with the current system right now. So he's definitely one of those guys that come the start of the season. I think Harry Parrish, the transfer from Ole Miss might be starting that first game of the season as the other guys come back from injury, um, that being Knighton and Don Chaney. Um, a recruit that I like, because we're talking about running backs, is a four-star running back, Trevante Citizen. Uh, he's from Louisiana. He picked Miami over LSU. And everyone in Coral Gables is excited about him because his side and speed combination. So, you know, he's one of those guys that you could expect to see get some action early on as a as a uh, true freshman, and then also a new recruit, um, tight end Jaleel Skinner. He enrolled early at UM, and due to Will Mallory, the starting tight end, being injured, uh, recovering, uh, getting injured, shoulder injury, and being sidelined, he's really showed off uh, his elite uh, length, athleticism, and he's one of those guys that because he's seen enough action early on, he could be a big play threat, uh, especially under the new offensive coordinator who did an incredible, um, incredible job. Uh, Josh Gaddis did an incredible job in Michigan with the tight ends up there. So I think that's one, a huge plus for Miami is having, you know, three really good tight ends and a coordinator that really utilized them well uh, when he was in Michigan. And also um, 
there's two there's a defensive lineman from uh, West Virginia, Akeem Mesador. He's a huge addition to UM. Just you know brings a lot of star potential. And I think uh, the wide receiver from Clemson, Frank Ladson, he could be a huge factor for a receiving core that, aside from Xavier Restrepo, like there's a bunch of guys that are still trying to fit into that role. He could be one of those guys that, with his prior experience at Clemson, uh, he can really land in there nicely and, and be a huge target for Van Dyke. All right, Carlos, do, do you think Miami will be better than last year and why or why not? And then we'll go through the Hurricanes schedule where we play what we call win game, lose game. And then we'll get your thoughts on each game uh, really quick, you know, a couple sentences, what, you, what your thoughts are on that game. Uh, I think they should be better than last year. Last year, uh, just, just a lot was happening. There was a lot of uh, uncertainty with Manny Diaz, the head coaching position, a lot of just uh, performances out there that, that were subpar and disappointing. I think we can all look at that Florida State game last season in Tallahassee where Miami uh, was the better team and, you know, really underperformed. And uh, there was just a lot of instability last season. The only, Like I said, the only, one of the huge pluses was Tyler Van Dyke. But other than that, just – uh, a lot of instability um, from the head coaching position down. But I think this year with Mario Cristobal and everything he's brought to the table, I mean, the hiring itself was a home run hire. It got people excited. Uh, it got the administration showing that they can spend money that, you know, previously Miami wouldn't spend money. Uh, and we've seen Mario Cristobal, not only at Oregon uh, recently where he was there for a few years, as head coach, but also at FIU where he took a program that was non-existent and made them somewhat decent. Uh, he's a heck of a recruiter. He, he uh, was under Nick Saban at Alabama for some time. And what he did at Oregon was so impressive because Oregon is in a unique part of the country. You had to really recruit nationally and he was able to get guys on board to come to Oregon and commit. And that, that in and of itself was impressive. So when you bring a guy like that, back home to Miami because obviously he he's from South Florida. He played at the University of Miami. Uh, this is, you know, the dream job to be able to lead your program again. Uh, there's just a lot of excitement. And, and you can tell by the guys that he's recruiting right now, just everyone's buying into this system. Uh, a bunch of these guys, you know, from the spring camp have impressed. They look good. And I just think that, you know, there might be some tweaks that need to be done, but this this team this year should be uh, much better than last year's team. All right, let's get into that schedule. And you start out with Bethune-Cookman on September 3rd. Uh, that's uh, you know a nice little tune-up game to start the season. Uh, should be an easy W. Uh, and, you know, you'll get a lot of young guys that they'll get some playing time uh, at, getting set for like the meat of your schedule. So that should be a, an easy win for Miami to open up the season. All right. Uh, then, you know, it's a step up in competition the next week, um, but you're playing uh, Southern Miss at home. Uh, that That's a good, I think that's a good game to kind of get you ready for what's coming the next week. Agreed. I think um, had this been under the, the last coaching regime, I would have told you, you know, maybe it's closer than the experts think, but uh, 
you know, they'll, they'll give them competition, but I, you know, Miami uh, should go two and zero heading into that game you're alluding to. All right. And, and th- this is the big one here that we're going to, you know, get a early barometer of where Miami is really at for the rest of the season as they go on the road and they play at Texas A&M uh, Jimbo Fisher, you know, knows the Canes program from his days at Florida state uh, th- this, I think this is going to be a really good game. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm taking Texas A&M uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Nine o'clock kickoff, Kyle Field, over 100,000, uh, you know, crazy fans from the 12th man. Might be a little too much for Miami to handle that early in the season. Um, it's one of those, you know, one of those situations where it's such a hostile environment. I, wa- I would like to think Miami could be competitive, but things have to, you know, they have to hit on, on those, on those, uh, they have to hit on, on, on their, on their bearings, which is, you know, you can't turn the ball over. You can't make mistakes, which I think when you bring a young team like this to a hostile environment, uh, once one bad thing starts things off, it, it can, you know, it could uh, spiral out of control. But I, I think A&M just should have a huge advantage here being, it being a home game, prime time uh, at night. It's, there's no way Miami, I don't see Miami escaping this one with a win. All right. Uh, then you come back home and you host the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. Uh, that should be another win. So you're looking at what, three and one heading into your first conference game of the season. Yep. You're you're off on October 1st. Get you ready for the stretch run in October. And you start off with, uh, you know, the North Carolina Tar Heels. You know, they got Josh Downs, but no Sam Howell. And, um, you know, I don't they won't come in with the preseason hype that they did last year. I think this is just another one of those uh, typical games in, in since Miami joined the ACC along the lines of Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, where it's just always a toss-up, it seems like. These games are always close. Um, even when one team should be highly favorable over the other, it's, it just seems like they're always uh, close games. Last year, 45-42 uh, to 42 in Chapel Hill, I think Miami wins, but it'll be, it'll be uh, a nail-biter, I think. Okay, uh, then you go on the road after that, and you play at Virginia Tech. Kind of, kind of disappointed, and this might be a topic for later in the podcast. But kind of disappointed this wasn't, you know, one of the yearly uh, games, rivalry games, the next four years between Virginia Tech and Miami. Oh, I made a note of this because I knew we were going to talk about it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, given you know, any other year, a game in Blacksburg you always side with Virginia Tech uh, just because it's, you know, they, it's such a great home field advantage, but with a, in a transition year with a new head coach, uh, actually both teams have a new head coach, but, you know, Virginia Tech, especially being at home, I think Miami might have the edge here and I've got them winning this game. Okay. Uh, then you come back and you host the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, I, I got Miami winning this game. Um, a home game against Duke uh, should be, a good, you know, it should be a good situation for them to, you know, just get back into the swing of things. All right. Uh, then you go on the road and you play at Virginia. Uh, you know what? Um, just, just trying to be consistent here. I think I, I've got Virginia just because historically Miami struggles against the, the Cavaliers. Uh, they've always been a thorn in Miami's side. And this one being at Virginia in, in uh, Charlottesville, um, I think, I'd give the edge to Virginia in this one. Okay. 
then you come back on November 5th and you host your arch rivals, uh, Florida State down in Miami. But hold on just a sec, just a sec, just a sec. I want to go back to I want to go back to the Virginia game there, Carlos. <laughs> I, I want to give you a chance to walk that back before we go on. Because <laughs> you know what? If I pick Miami to win, that's just like, when are they going to lose some games, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. I, here's my issue with Virginia, you know, because Jeff and I were kind of talking about this earlier today. They, they, that defense has to show me that they can actually do something. That's the first thing with Virginia. You know, can they stop anybody? Can they stop anybody? Right. Uh, the second issue is, and where I think Miami will have extreme success, is that I want to find out what actually is going on with the University of Virginia offensive line. And I mean, but, you know, but we're going to be quite a few games into the season. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's eight weeks into the season. We should find out by then whether that line is actually a cohesive unit or not. But I, 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 I'll give you a chance to walk that back before we go on. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like, on the other shoe, you know, the foot's on the other shoe, it's like Miami's got to prove that they can win those games because Fair enough. Every, every time you give Miami, uh, oh, they're going to beat Virginia, it's, it just never happens that way. Actually, when I was going through the schedules earlier before we started this, I was, Virginia Tech and Virginia were those two toss-up games for me because they could go either way, in my opinion, just going off of the history of, of, these, of the series against the Hokies and the Cavaliers. But... Oh, uh, you know what? You may have convinced me. I might take Miami over Virginia in uh, Charlottesville. I think I think it was a, you know I think it is. I think both of those picks were right for what it's worth. I just my personal opinion is that Virginia Tech and Virginia are a couple of years away for stocking ta- you know stocking talent and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it'll just take. A, I mean, they're gonna you know they're gonna be in better shape in a couple of years, and those game those games will be. I just don't. I I, I was telling Jeff. I think today. That that the Commonwealth Cup is gonna you know probably will be decide bowl bowl eligibility for each of the teams. I think it's very, very likely. possible, <laughs> very likely. So anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. Um, so yeah, we were just getting started on on the Florida State Seminoles. I uh, that to me, I've got Miami winning that game. It's a home game. I think uh, you you bounce back from that dreadful showing a year ago in Tallahassee where everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Miami. And just the way they lost that game, that long fourth down play, that uh, really just bad play calling uh, that last drive that, you know, gave up the shoot the win. Miami should win at home and, um, you know, get things back on, on track uh, against FSU because that game last year was just uh, – that was a tough one for them. All right. Then you go on the road and you play at Georgia Tech. Uh, this is another one. Uh, just given Miami's history against, you know, these coastal division opponents. Um, I, earlier, you know, I was thinking at, at in Atlanta against Georgia Tech, I might give the edge to Georgia Tech, but I, I think Miami um, – Given that you know Jeff Collins is is a bit on the hot seat right now and things are not voting so well for them, uh, I can see Miami going to Atlanta and getting a win. All right, uh, then you you got the last couple games here. Um, 
really good pair of games, tough games for Miami. And you're starting out by uh, going on the road and you're playing at Clemson. Like, yes, at Clemson, Death Valley, Memorial Stadium. Um, it's still Clemson after all. And I think, obviously, we're, we're making these picks, you know, well over 50 days or so before the season starts and before we really know uh, what these teams look like. But uh, given that we're doing it today, uh, I would go with Clemson uh, on the road, Miami. It's going to be tough for them. So I think Clemson would win this game. All right. Uh, then you come back home and you host the uh, Pitt Panthers. Could be for uh, the Coastal Division title. Could be, yes. I was about to say, this could be, this could decide the Coastal. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I think, uh, you got to go with Miami just because it's at home. Um, but usually these games are close, so it's not going to be easy. But I think Miami would, would be able to handle it and get the win. All right. Uh, thanks for going through that schedule there, Carlos. And now I'm going to turn it over to Matthew for the last couple questions in the podcast. So, Carlos, you kind of touched on it briefly, you know, about how much the how much enthusiasm there is with the Miami football program. And I got to think, I mean, if everything comes through here, you know, I kind of I kind of convince you to change your mind a little bit. It looks like it could be a 10 and two season for the for the Miami Hurricanes if all goes if, if your predictions go well here. So. I, I gotta think that in in Mario's first year that the bloggers and fans would be thrilled having that sort of record. And I know that they're really happy about the increased investment that's going into the program. There's 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 really a lot of enthusiasm I, I would think right now with bringing you know a you know a coach that was really part of their storied history back into the program. The floor is yours, Carlos. Oh, without a doubt, I think. Uh this hiring just signaled to everybody, especially the Miami fan base, that uh, Miami, they want to be a player in this current state of college football. They've been on the sideline for so long. Uh, historically, you know, I think the three schools in the state were able to get away with great coaching, uh, great head coaches for a time, great assistant coaches, and were able to really take advantage of the talent that, that the state of Florida offered before any of the other schools could really get their grip on it. And now we see the change, you know, everybody's able to get talent from Florida. The, all these camps, all these uh, events allow these coaches to come in and, and visit with them and, and see the players as opposed to back in their heyday, you know, you could, you could keep these players a secret from, from the teams outside of Florida. So, I mean, it's a huge investment that Miami was able to go get Mario Cristobal when many of us didn't think it was possible because you knew that they had to open up the the bank account to get a coach like that. And not only did they get Cristobal, they also got a new athletic director from Clemson, um, just signaling uh, how serious this football program is uh, to be be a player along the likes of Alabama, uh, Texas, Texas A&M, Clemson, uh, Ohio State, all these big schools. And, you know, the fan base is excited. I think uh, nobody ever saw this coming. Uh, you can all thank Kirk Herbstreet because if he doesn't go on this on his rant like he did on college game day last season, uh, things may have not have changed. Uh, it, it would have been the status. It, it could have been the status quo for Miami, where even if they fire Manny Diaz, they maybe go after some other coach. But this hiring and this move just changes everything. The perception that Miami isn't willing to spend money that they're cheap because now they are really putting in top dollar for a lot of these uh, 
uh, things. And it's, it's amazing to see because I never, I never thought I'd see the day that Miami uh, would get into the arms race of college football with these bigger programs, the, you know, these schools that have these boosters with so many resources. And um, Miami was just never that, Miami just never fit that bill. And now you see them do this and it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, I'm interested to see uh, how that plays out during Cristobal's tenure. And um, if it's possible that, you know, they could, they could be a player for, for the national championship because it's, it's been a while since Miami was taken seriously in football. That's an excellent take. We have enjoyed having you come back on this, on this podcast, Carlos. So thanks again for coming on the show again tonight. We we really appreciate it. Do you want to shout out your Twitter account again? Uh, sure thing. It's uh, at Carlos F. Pineda. Wonderful. Okay, thanks again for coming on. So here's the last Here's the last question, Carlos. It's open microphone time. The floor is yours. Any topic you want to talk about? Well, you know, we, we kind of hinted at it, but um, – just uh, when my when the ACC switched to this new uh, what is it three five five model or three three five model, I was kind of uh, disappointed that Virginia Tech and Miami, you know, aren't um, permanent partners in this because uh, I don't know, man. I missed the old days of the Big East. You know, Miami, uh, Virginia Tech, you know, Syracuse, all those great teams. West Virginia back in the day was always fun and seeing just how how further away we keep moving in college football where all these rivalries are, are coming to an end because it just logistically doesn't make any sense. It's kind of sad to see a rivalry that um, for the longest part in the Big East was, you know, it was those two programs, Miami and Virginia Tech. You, you know, you occasionally had West Virginia and Syracuse in the mix also, but it was always Miami and, and, and VT fighting for the top spot. So it's a little, a little sad that, you know, it's, it's not going to be a permanent thing anymore, but um I just wanted to see what your reaction was to that too. I agree with you. I, I didn't really think that Wake Forest was that candidate for Virginia Tech. And that's the kind of the way it turned unfortunately that's the way it turned turned out. And I'm with you one I'm with you one thousand percent. I'm gonna ask you one other question, Carlos. I'm gonna use the I, I guess I'll use my open microphone segment to ask you a question what do you think about realignment right now carlos uh you know it's it's a mixed bag because it's it's exciting when you hear like these crazy moves happening but at the same time i'm a you know i'm a, I'm a child of the 90s I, I grew up in the 90s and to me you know that was like the greatest decade era and i don't know college football like I, I miss when a conference could have, you know, seven to eight teams because it meant everybody played everyone and you still had your rivals from, you know, different conferences. But now as we're getting to 16 team, 20 team mega conferences, it's really sad. Like I'm a, I'm a purist when it comes to the tradition and all this other stuff of college football. Um, so it's just sad to see how many rivalries, uh, you know, I think of, Pittsburgh and West Virginia, the backyard brawl, all these rivalries that have have been left behind for the for the dollar, you know, for these television dollars that uh, just keep changing everything. So that's kind of sad. And, um, you know, I've never been a fan of TV networks dictating what time games would kick off. Like, I just I can't believe, you know, you force a Pac-12 team to play at noon. Um, Eastern time for the sake of, of, a, of a time slot, but that's the world we live in where 
uh, everything is dictated by the networks. And, um, you know, we've lost, as far as college football, we've lost, you know, any power to the networks. And so it's kind of, it's, it's fun to watch it all happening, but at the same time, it's sad because we're getting further away from what makes college football so special, in my opinion, so much better than the NFL because of its regionality and uniqueness that it's both a regional and national sport. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just getting away from that. And it's, it's kind of a, just, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to see. Promise you, you'll come back on during the season, Carlos. That's what, what we want to hold you to that. Okay. Of course. I, you know, I'll, I'll be glad to come back on. Okay. Wonderful. Jeff, you're up, man. The floor is yours. Yeah. I, I was thinking about my open mic and I was listening to Carlos and man, I, I just love that perspective of it. Cause I mean, we, 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 we talk about it and it's on Twitter and, you know, you're talking about where teams will go and, and you end up, you know, losing these traditional rivalries that you'd seen for years and years. And I, I was thinking, you know, what, what realignment move in the last, you know, 10 years has, has put together a game that is like, can't miss, you know, anymore. I mean, I used to, I would, of a team that I used to watch out of conference a fair amount, like a Nebraska. I mean, they're completely irrelevant now, um, you know, in the, in the Big Ten. I don't watch any of their games, even as, unless there's like absolutely nothing on, for example. Um, you know, when USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, you know, what, what are you going to watch? I mean, does, does USC, Minnesota excite anybody you know any game that missouri plays in the sec you know it, it doesn't grab anyone's attention you know maybe i would say a little bit texas a&m has, has managed to kind of you know um you know excite fans with certain games um you know especially during sumlin's years and and manzel against alabama was was a game that a lot of people wanted to watch but yeah, I, I totally agree with, with Carlos here. And, and in a weird way, I, I, I kind of admire Notre Dame, you know, their fight to stay independent. And I, I really think, you know, at one time I was like, what, what is their obsession with this? But, you know, when you look at it from a traditionalist kind of point of view, I'm like, they're going to they're gonna hold out as long as they possibly can. And you, you kind of admire that in a weird way. Um, you know, more power to them if they can they can stay independent as long as they can. Um, but my last comment on, on my open mic here is this week, uh, ACC Media Days, uh, where, we, where we really know that the schedule is just, the season is just around the corner. Um, hopefully, you know, the ACC has some news about, you know, possible, you know, revenue generation ideas with, with ESPN. I, I would hope that, that the commissioner, Jim Phillips, you know, they might not have a finalized plan, but I would like to see something to the effect like, hey, we're working with our TV partners on all kinds of ideas. At least that would, you know, say, hey, he's been, you know, really looking into this over the last few weeks. So that will be one of the things I'm looking for in media days, um, in addition to just the preview of the season, which I'm, I'm ready for. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where every time the ACC thinks it's caught up slightly, you know, to the Big Ten or, or the SEC, something like this happens, and it just further pushes them back down. Like, I, I feel like it's always been an uphill, uphill battle. You get Miami, Virginia Tech to the ACC, 
and the dream matchup of Miami FSU and the ACC Conference Championship game every year never happens because both teams just happen to to fall into uh, mediocrity for a bit. Um, so, you know, one of the, that was supposed to be a huge thing for the conference. That never happened. Um, they finally get the ACC Network uh, linear, linear TV deal with ESPN. And in a way, you know, you're, you're trying to secure your conference with longevity by establishing this grant of rights deal. And in, in many ways, that ends up being uh, a huge setback for all these schools because now you're looking at how things are moving in the other conferences. We're looking at the Big Ten now, looking at a possible billion-dollar TV deal. And if I'm ESPN, I'm like, listen, I have a great deal with the ACC for the next 14 seasons. Why would I try to um, give up more, give up money that I'm getting to help them? But it, it could be a situation where because the Big Ten and Fox are getting so strong that maybe you have to kind of restructure that deal so that you can keep getting some, you know, get more of these games on your network because at the end of the day, that's live sports is the only thing that's helping cable because everything else is, you know, Netflix, Hulu, all these products are online. You can watch it, but live, live sports is the one thing that's still valuable. So it, it, it's rather interesting to see what, um, you know, Jim Phillips can do because right now they, they are handcuffed. Uh, to the to ESPN's mercy because it's it's such a great deal for ESPN, not so much for the ACC. So I am curious to see what they can come up with because uh, when we learned about USC and UCLA it, and even Texas, Oklahoma last year, it just they keep those two conferences keep separating themselves. And uh, you know, last year I think the ACC and Pac-12 had a chance to extend that playoff deal where it guaranteed. Uh, you know, at least their team's getting a guaranteed bid into the con into the CFP, and they said no, thank you. And now you're you've given up a lot of leverage now because not only the Big Ten and SEC are getting so much stronger that they can make up the rules now for the next set of um, contracts when it comes to a playoff, and you're kind of left picking up the scraps and saying thank you because now you don't have as much bargaining power as you did a year ago. Yeah, those those are. Fantastic points, Carlos. And and Matthew knows I could talk on this for an hour, but I'm, I'm going to just give the short version <laughs> to a couple of points you made. I mean, the, the ACC network is you, you, someone can actually can, can punch holes in the, in the media rights deal. It's 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 not good. It's long term. It's massively trailing what the Big Ten and SEC are going to have. And there's no argument about that whatsoever. But the ACC network is an absolute success. It is a very profitable endeavor by the ACC and ESPN. And there were um, um, the number of subscribers was was put out on um, on Twitter this this week. And I don't even know if this actually even included Comcast yet. But there's 42 million subscribers of the ACC network, which is just behind the Big Ten network, not far behind the SEC network, and the subscriber rate was around 70, 75 cents monthly per subscriber. So you do all the math, and ESPN, you know, is making somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 
125, 130 million dollars a year off the ACC network. And I find it really hard to believe that ESPN, if you believe that ESPN and Fox are driving all of this, would go to the SEC, at least here in the short term, and say, hey, take two ACC teams. We're going to blow up the ACC. That network goes away and just blow up a network that they spent three years making and makes them you know, over $100 million a year. It, it just doesn't make sense that that would be something that they would push in the near term. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I do think that they will, they will work with the ACC. Now, how that looks, who knows what will it look like in the end. But the, the ACC network has been a very profitable endeavor for ESPN. And I just don't think they're just going to, you know, have the SEC invite a couple more teams, which that's going to add another couple hundred million dollars to their already hundred million dollars per team. You know, so you're talking like ESPN's going to have to figure out a way to come up with another three or four hundred million dollars just to tell two ACC teams to move when you can just kind of raise the contract up a little bit. We'll see if that's going to be the case, but that's that's what I think. That's yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'll just say real quickly before we head out, Carlos, thanks again for coming on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We loved having you come on the show. And I'll just say this real quickly before we exit. Uh, shout out to Gavin, Gavin Cross, Virginia Tech baseball player who went number nine in the in the uh, in the MLB draft today to the to the uh, Kansas City Royals. That's the highest uh, baseball pick draft pick that Virginia Tech has ever had in its history, and it's probably a direct result of the run that the Hokies made in the NCAA tournament this year. So, I mean, it was that's really good. I didn't really see any of the other books picks. I just saw that one float across my timeline because it was top 10. So, Carlos, thanks again for coming on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. You guys all have a great week.